Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Times Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. So I want to start this off with a question. If someone came up to you and said, I just want to work on your car, I'm going to make it faster, but it's just me and my assistant, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to make your world a better place, Mm -hmm. would you let them? Absolutely. Yeah, I trust them implicitly. Look, I get weird offers like that all the time. It's like when in Animal Crossing, somebody just sends a tie-dye t-shirt to your (laughs) mailbox, and you just unwrap that present and say thanks. You don't ask questions, Jake. And you definitely put it on. (laughs) 100%. Riker had a lot of questions, which is really interesting. This is the episode where no one has gone before. The actual, like, main synopsis of Star Trek in general, right? Mm Mm-hmm. To boldly go. When an experimental engine modification throws the Enterprise to the edge of the known universe, the crew must rely on a mysterious alien to guide the ship home. Wow. But we don't know it's the alien at first, because it starts with Kaczynski, the ultimate mansplainer that barges in and starts shoving Riker around, wants to talk to the captain, thinks he's hot shit, and guess what? Turns out he wasn't. Surprise, surprise. Typical <laughs> alpha male. What was so interesting about his not being legit was like he his techno babble was apparently not legit, but their techno babble was. <laughs> it's true though. All of the stuff that he said, they were like, that's nonsense. Anything that he says, that's not true at all. I was doing a little bit of digging because I just wanted to find out when this was sort of penned. And it was 1987. And then it was like aired in the 90s, in 1990. And it's very much that image of like the the 1980s hotshot CEO coming in and the sort of deflation of that when you really poke the holes in it. So I feel like that's where they're coming from, from like a societal point of view and and trying to show that even though these hotshot CEOs think that they know best and, and they might like accidentally stumble into something incredible, they still are worth something and they're still valuable and, and things like that. But don't listen to them implicitly, you know, without doing your due diligence. <laughs> Totally interesting uh, metaphor there. And and there is the thing of this guy works for Starfleet, you know? It's like, oh, hey, we're all part of the same federation. We're all just sharing stuff. I'm probably, you know, getting my bartering units through Starfleet so you can <laughs> trust me. And, like, why didn't they check in with Starfleet to say, is this guy legit is the question. Well, the thing is, they said that he had already done this modification to two other starships within the area. And then the, the Enterprise was just kind of passing through and was like, oh, okay, let's get this done by grumpy Chris Kattan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like when they're giving out car washes in the parking lot, and you're like, might as well. I'm here for a couple hours. <laughs> Who was this guy exactly? Like, so he doesn't wear an insignia. Did we know why that is? Because that's a comms. Or yeah, why well, the comms? Yeah, he doesn't Wait, wear what? a badge at all. And I was wondering if that what. I didn't notice that. I'm surprised. No, he didn't have a badge because that's a communications badge. So why would he need one if he's just, you know, this like mechanic? But he's part of Starfleet, isn't he? You would definitely have one. Uh Uh-oh. It's a mistake that he wouldn't. Uh Uh-oh. The entire episode, Xander, he doesn't wear one. I didn't even notice. Interesting. He must be disbarred or something. (laughs) Unfleeted. So I was wondering if it's just because he's not an, uh, I mean, even non-officers wear them. So I don't know. I don't get it. Yeah, non-coms 
Tombs also wear com badges. The only argument you could make is that he was like busy and came from another ship and didn't get one for the Enterprise's like com systems. Well, maybe he's just living off the grid, like <laughs> doesn't have a cell phone, which seems so crazy to us. But there are people out there yeah. that maybe have like a burner flip phone in the bottom of a closet for emergencies. And that's where he keeps his comms. So the only thing I could find on this was on Memory Alpha. And they said in Where No One Has Gone Before, Krasinski appears in a Starfleet uniform with no communicator and does not appear to have a Starfleet rank, as he is referred to throughout the episode as Mr. Kaczynski. Oh, right. His collar features a unique rank insignia, a small silver rectangle, and a darker rectangle of the same size. The Star Trek Next Generation companion, on page 37, makes the light of this peculiarity as well, noting, while Kaczynski's unexplained square rank pip was never seen again. <laughs> so I guess it's just unexplained. Wow. He made it himself. I bet it was just some costumer that was like, oh, wait, we need another yellow uniform and pips and a comm badge? We don't have that. We've got everybody in uniform in every scene. So I don't know. Give him a square button or something. <laughs> so Troy says right off that there's something a little fishy about this guy. They already had their suspicions. But the assistant, as we know him, he doesn't exude any like energy or like doesn't have any she can't read him right or like he's not even there no emotional signals being put out there once again deanna troy crushing it with the uh hot takes i feel nothing from him captain which you know what as much as i criticize it sometimes it's pretty helpful she straight up roasts kaczynski after he leaves oh right he is Important. She's supposed to be the counselor of the ship, and he asks for an assessment. And she's like, he's over, he's arrogant, he's overbearing, he's self-important, he's very sure of himself. Which we all saw that. Like, she, you don't need to be a telepath to know that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it was just showing you the candor in which an alien will be able to explain human emotions that were so easy to read that, like you said, you don't need to be a Betazoid to show, like, oh, he's arrogant and full of himself. But in the first couple of episodes, they're still establishing some of the stuff that is going to be relevant for the show, but is still sort of this sciencey magic. So they need to explain Troy's abilities and what are the limitations and what does it mean when she, quote unquote, can't feel someone. So they get started. They do it. They pull off a, a test and it leads them into, wait, what was it, warp 10? Beyond warp 10, off the scale, says Data. Literally, it is. I don't even know if engines can reverse at this speed because it's never been done before. <laughs> yeah. And they end up in like one hell of a painting of a far astral's plane or something like that. Oh, it is beautiful. Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Well, I wanted to go over this real quick to show the ridiculousness of this. So warp scale, eventually we sort of kind of figure it out and that it's supposed to be how fast you are moving and it comes to like a focal point where it cannot exist anymore and that's supposed to be warp 10 where the like it's so compressed and you're going so fast that matter cannot exist and so you can go up to like 9.999999 or wherever but you're never able supposed to reach warp 10 and this is one of a few examples of writers going but what happens if you do <laughs> and it's constantly everyone going you can't this this is not real so they they sort of fold it into this narrative of thoughts becoming reality and the the barrier between that but um this is also a little bit of a spoiler the plot for voyager star trek voyager they just zoom out into the middle of nowhere and they're stuck and they have like however many years to get back. Right, because the TNG cast is thrown, like, what is it, 300 years away at top speed to get back? Yeah, at maximum warp. If that's how you choose to measure this thing you call time. <laughs> <laughs> this alien is 
so, so interesting. And it's definitely my favorite of the non-human life forms we've mm. come across so far. I'll get to Wyatt a little bit, but um, how do we find out? Kaczynski is a, a faker. <laughs> is it maybe a boy genius coming to the rescue again? He gets shut down by Riker like immediately. So quick. About something that Riker's very concerned about. Like Wesley walks up to him. He's like, listen, I got to talk to you about what I saw during the experiment. And Riker's like, not now. And Riker's only focus is the experiment. So why wouldn't he take at least, you know, a sentence from Wesley? It's interesting because they're setting this precedent of these adults do not listen to kids. And there are kids on this ship mm -hmm. and they are seen as passengers. Even though Wesley has been valuable in the past, they really wanted to set this up for Riker to be able to apologize. We needed to give a clear example of him not being listened to. And then later on, uh, Riker does stick up for him and says, he tried to tell me twice. I didn't listen. And that's what we never see happen in this trope of the adult going to another adult and saying, this kid tried to tell me I didn't listen. Normally, it's the kids sticking up for themselves. Yeah. It's also Riker distinguishing himself from Kaczynski because he starts to say what happened and then gives the credit away. And it's also showing that Wesley is not taken seriously, even though he and people like him end up being the whole reason the alien is there, which we'll get into. Exactly. Exactly. That, that's exactly right. And not only do they have to convince the crew that Wesley is valuable to have on the bridge, the uh, writers have to convince the audience of that because it's so far-fetched for a, a kid to be on the bridge of a starship when adults work their whole lives just to be on the bridge of a starship. So they have to magically justify this and like, oh, he might be a chosen one of some sort. And that's why he's allowed on the bridge. Yeah. Did we really see much of him being a chosen one? Because that's what I was trying to think back because like, does he actually do many things or do they just talk about him being capable of doing those things? His techno babble is out of control, Jake. <laughs> He's got it. You put that kid in front of a screen and he's going to come up with a thing that blows everybody away. That's how you know. He made a very impressive tractor beam mm -hmm. in episode two. I recall that for sure. But he also saved the Enterprise from destruction relatively in that episode too, right? From quick thinking? Exactly. I mean, he might have caused the destruction in the first place, <laughs> but he still fixed it. Right, right. Wesley's very much, as we've talked about before, the the in for kids of this generation to see themselves uh, do amazing things in the world of Star Trek just as much as the adults. And you have to realize that this trope of the boy genius kind of did exist before, but it, it hasn't really been played to this extent. So they have to convince the audience that look look at these amazing things that this kid can do first and then it's easier for us to understand like oh he has the potential to be something incredible so it's fine that that Picard gives him some sort of rank and, and whatever uh, it's it's a justification for that cast member to be in the important scenes when really there's no reason for him to be there well let's take the episode bit by bit so the next thing that happens is our friend, the assistant to Mr. Kaczynski, uh, starts getting nasty with the computer and like vibrating <laughs> and going transparent. Uh, and that's the thing that Wesley saw that nobody really paid attention to. And it was very uh, orgasmic, I would say, for him. I'm, I know I'm always going there, but like this was one of those moments. So is Star Trek. Have you ever moved through time, though? Because feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. If you really just like bond <laughs> with the engine and he's the one that sent them so far. But the other thing that happens aside from just super fast travel is uh, everybody on the ship starts hallucinating 
these things from their childhood, both negative and positive, mostly positive, but mm-hmm. people's imaginations uh, manifest. Uh, let's see, Worf's got some sort of like aardvark pig. The Targ. The Targ. Is it like an aardvark that they glued horns onto? <laughs> it's like a warthog that they glued for. <laughs> yeah. A warthog. <laughs> yeah. It's a wild boar. Her name was Emmy Lou. Oh, wow. Yeah, the Targ quickly became a staple. Like this, I think, was the first introduction of a seeing a Targ because uh, it might have been in the novels or something. I like that he calls out a Klingon Targ. Like, oh my God, it's a human puppy. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, what a cute human puppy. I think Oshi could be a Targ for Halloween, maybe. <laughs> oh, wow. That's an option. Oh, just put some horns on him. Uh, also, Tasha is petting a kitty and turns around and there's a rape gang following her. And I want to revisit this idea of the rape gang because it's like, why didn't they branch out into other sorts of crime, you know? Crime. (laughs) They're really focused on just raping. And it's like, you could pillage something. You could maybe, I don't know, there's no financial gain here. Somebody in that gang has got to not really be down with what's happening. Tasha full on, like her titties were out in that scene. I was surprised. I was like, whoa, 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 we, we could see a lot. I wrote it down and then I deleted it because she immediately mentioned rape gangs and I felt uncomfortable saying yeah. these things together. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, they, they look good. Just as a costuming choice though, it was just an interesting sort of, whoa, there's the line, okay. I wasn't mad about it. No, no. The thing that I'm wondering about is uh, it seems like some of these hallucinations people in the same room can see and some of them people can't so I think that maybe was a little discrepancy there where it should have been everybody can see it like for example there was this fire that some random person saw that uh, that Picard saw and he said just think happy thoughts about the fire being put out but like he saw his his mama mama with the T and had this intimate Mm -hmm. moment and then Riker walks up and doesn't see it so maybe it just disappeared but it was kind of unclear whether or not everybody could see the same hallucinations was Wesley's sweater an illusion because it was both horrifyingly comfortable looking and also garishly colored I'll take four it's so good. It just, it's starting the line of the great Wesley sweaters. Like, buckle up, kids. It reminded me of, like, the Knives Out sweater that Chris Evans wears. Yes, exactly. Like, the first draft of that. Right, right. <laughs> and yeah, I think that they're trying to justify the the illusions getting stronger as they, they've been moving forward, but, or are in the dense of the, the density of the cloud, but it was poorly explained and not really well executed. <laughs> Explain to me uh, what they even came from, because I didn't understand when that that part was resolved. As the traveler starts to explain in the episode, thoughts can become reality, it sounds like is the theory. Oh, wow, the secret. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. manifesting, but just real fast. Honestly, there is a lot of like mysticism in this episode, even a lot of what Kaczynski, the way he talks and the way people are skeptical about him, very much reminds me of, you know, quacks and uh, witch doctors and people that claim to like know and talk about a lot of scientific stuff without uh, any you know evidence so there is a lot of that in this episode um, mm-hmm. and it includes that this actually becomes real uh, when you reach what is it beyond the edge of the known universe right and so I think this is a great example because we had the example before of the prime directive right we are coming as an advanced civilization to a, a civilization that is less advanced and our starships and our technology may look like magic to 
to them. They said something along those lines almost directly. And now we're on the other end of that where we're encountering a species that's above and far beyond us and they have their own sort of prime directive and we're on the receiving end of that. So it's, I think it's to show what it feels like to be the inferior species in that sort of uh, negotiation. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to talk about because it reminds me of an interesting scientific principle called the Fermi paradox, which is this idea that whether or not there's intelligent life in the universe is crazy that we haven't found it. Yes. And so it sort of points to either it doesn't exist or it existed before us or will exist after us mm -hmm. or is just uninterested in making contact with us. Right. And that's exactly what the case was with this alien species that has gone beyond time and distance and none of these things matter. It's only uh, just happy feelings that power all things for my people. I'm so glad that you brought up the Fermi Paradox because that's going to become sort of a running theme throughout a lot of this because it's how we sort of uh, examine these scenarios that's why it's speculative science fiction. Uh, and so when you talk about the Fermi Paradox, you also have like the great barrier in some cases of where is the barrier of technology before we cross that line and become a threat to someone else like we saw with the Ferengi in the previous episode? Or is that threshold behind us? We something that we've already crossed and now we're just working on becoming sort of enlightened along with other alien races. So it's, it's great to sort of examine that along uh, with each of the episodes. To me, it's both brave and kind of crazy how we're hitting all like far boundaries of science fiction in the first like five episodes <laughs> of this show. They started with an omnipotent being that can kind of pretty much do whatever he wants with the ship. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we went all the way down to the prime directive and now we're back up to the inverse of that. It's like pretty nuts how far we're going. If you have to think about their position too, from creating the series in general, you come from the series in the 60s that only had one season and did phenomenally well outside of it airing like it was the the writers and the authors and the fans that came together that really pushed it forward and so when they had this amazing opportunity to reboot the series I guarantee you they went to their speculative fiction writers and said what have you been working on that we can work into these episodes to show the breadth of potential that we could do and I think that's what really got them the next season because it's not really the the crafting of the episodes as we've seen because it's not the greatest but it's the potential I think that's there. Interestingly uh, this episode was a little bit different in the original teleplay Kaczynski was responsible for both the warp effect and the accident there was no traveler uh -huh. he also had a son who felt his father was more interested in his work than him so that was probably going to be like a crusher analogy yeah. but they just decided to put it with Wesley which makes sense. Yeah. The hallucinations were much more bizarre than the actual episode, Jack Crusher appeared to Picard and Beverly. Oh, that would be so great. God, I would have loved that. And the Enterprise appeared inside a, quote, cosmological egg, end quote. Oh. When the starship escaped, it exploded and caused the birth of a new universe. Amazing. As a sort of biblical pun, <laughs> the Enterprise spends six days missing, and Picard orders the next day to be a day of rest. Wow, wow. Picard is God. Yeah, real heavy-handed in that episode. The Christian God. <laughs> Right. Also, like there are these huge overarching messages and great uh, leaps in, in thinking, but also lots of scant uniforms, which I'm very grateful for. The, <laughs> the, uh, the scant dress uniforms. We saw a lot of those in this episode. Yeah, there was definitely one actor that had to like pause in a corridor for the message and we <laughs> lingered on him for like a good eight <laughs> seconds or something. You know, I wonder if I know that actor. There's a chance that I might because he looked very familiar. You had that poster in your room, didn't you? I did. I did. 
with the mullet. We'll put in the show notes whether or not you actually know that guy. <laughs> so we figure out the traveler's deal. Um, now, I guess I want to get to the resolution of like how we figure out how to get us home, which is thoughts and prayers. Is that what I understood it to be, essentially? Thoughts and prayers actually worked, yeah. and that's what this episode is proving, <laughs> that obviously you don't need any other sort of scientific mumbo-jumbo if you just really lean into the thoughts and prayers angle, because they're covering all sides of the argument for all types of uh, exploration, futurism. Yeah. It was a very just will ourselves to win this altercation. It felt uh, it felt not really very climactic. It was just kind of like a lot of tense music and some tight shots of people's faces, and then we moved, right? I feel like sometimes they just don't know how to end the episode. Like, yeah. oh, yeah. more conflict could come. This could be a problem. Or, you know what? Uh, we're out of time here. It's already at 23 <laughs> minutes, so it's done. I loved the visuals of them traveling. I just didn't really, yeah, I didn't feel the intensity of it. It surprised me because especially, I don't know, I'm just very emotional recently. And so the the line, the, there is an abundance of wellness on the ship. I thought that that coming from Troy was just a really nice moment. And it hit me. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, that is really nice. There's just an abundance of wellness. And everybody just wants the best and, and there's something really beautiful about that that struck me. Yeah, I like that moment, too, quite a bit. And uh, yeah. sweet asshole just desperately needs approval. <laughs> Kaczynski gets thrown a bone by the traveler yeah. that says, I need you. I need you to sit down there and pretend like oh. you're working. It's important to me being able to get anything done. And really, that's all we want to hear, any of us. We just want to see someone to yep. say, it, keep looking like you're doing work. It makes me feel better. Yeah, like this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Y'all get it. He's just insecure. That's all it really is. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, and honestly, is great for them to explore that sort of alpha male trope on television. And to also show that a man wearing a straight ripe 1970s style jumpsuit is the ultimate uh, evolution of intelligence. So good. He looks really good. Also Ninja Turtle fingers. Yeah, the turtle fingers <laughs> that Wesley uh, just holds on to to say, I'm here for you, man. Yeah. It was the power of positive yeah. thought, which which is better than thoughts and prayers in my mind. I like to phrase it differently so it's an entirely different thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you could look at it in the sense of that alien was sucking up all the mind energies of everybody. Exactly, yeah. There you go. Speaking of uh, it wrapping up too, this was something that I noticed on my watch through this time. There was definitely some awkward ADR recording after the fact on some of the lines, especially from mm-hmm. Picard. Like, have the boy sent to bridge, number one. Was definitely, like, you could see the actor not moving his mouth and the ADR was just so poorly put in that I was like, why? It seems like maybe the audience was confused about a few things that they really needed to clarify. There was more than a few of those in this episode, for sure. Yeah. There was also a line, what was it? Oh, this, there was a, there was a sleigh ride reference that Jordy made. I had to rewind. That both Data and I was confused about. <laughs> Do you get it? Because I didn't. Yeah, it's like a sleigh being pulled along, like a sled dog sleigh. I had to rewind to figure out because I thought what happened was that the traveler, like I thought we were having the plot of Voyager now and that he had just disappeared and we were left 300 years away. (laughs) Uh, And I wrote down, fuck the traveler. What? (laughs) 
And then I rewound and I was like, oh, the beginning of the sleigh ride. Okay, Jordy, you could have been a little bit more clear with that before we even move the sleigh at all. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get what a sleigh is, but what was pulling us? The traveler. The future. But did he pull us? With his special warp and humping of a control panel. It was not good. It's not good writing. <laughs> if you're going to make an analogy, it's got to kind of work, I guess, right? If you're really going to go for it. Not when you have data as a best friend. You can say whatever you want. But I'm saying this is fucking up data's data because now he's going to input that into his basis for being human <laughs> and he's going to be pulling out sleigh rides for matters when it doesn't apply. Just a real quick anecdotal story. Uh, this seems similar to my Japanese friend who was my roommate for a long time who would mess up uh, English idioms and I would just kind of leave them as they were because she would say things like the poop is in the pudding and I think that's better <laughs> <Yeah>. honestly <laughs> yeah absolutely she also didn't want to beat around bushes and so you know sometimes <laughs> better sayings can come from just leaving it as is that's oh wonderful. man yeah, yeah that's pretty excellent well I enjoyed this episode uh yeah I- I think I liked it. I honestly was like simultaneously waiting for something bigger to happen and also very impressed by where they went. I just loved that they went out to the edge of the universe, but I kind of wanted to do something with it rather than just make a boar and a fire and Picard's mom appear. (laughs) And a ballerina costume. I was really impressed. A lot of things have riffed on this since like Inception or Dreamfall, the video game that's sort of blurring the line between reality and imagination and that's creating a source of fear. I think that's really interesting and I really, really like the concepts behind this episode better than ones we've seen so far. And it's also important to set the precedent for something that will later become known as like a holodeck episode in that some Something goes wrong and that either the entire crew experiences a shared illusion or something goes wrong with the safeties in the holodeck and the program goes wild. There are different variations of it, but this was sort of the start of hey, we're on a spaceship in the middle of space, but we can still have crazy special effects and be in crazy locations with visions and the holodeck. So I think that's one of the things they wanted to establish with this episode. Interesting. Oh, we have so much to look forward to still. <laughs> this felt very Trek. I really liked this episode. Yeah, this one feels like definitely like one of the standards. And we actually, as I recall, we see the Traveler again in future episodes, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, there's more of him to come. Uh, speaking of which, in future episodes, the next episode we'll be doing is called Lonely Among us. While transporting delegates, an alien life form wreaks havoc on the Enterprise computer and begins to take over the minds of her crew. Uh, And then um, just real quick, just wanted to throw in, I got some notes from my sister on episode one. This is notes on our podcast or notes on the episode of Star Trek? On the podcast, yeah. Okay, great. Oh, great. Oh, I'm so here for this. She's a real great. trekker, and I've learned the difference now. <laughs> Who's McCoy? Exclamation point, question mark. DeForest Kelly. Yes. Death date, 1999. Okay, so this is a note for 4605 of our first episode. It said... They totally had the rights. Later, two different studios did the movies and shows. Drama, they're back together, which is why Picard could be made were together in the TNG era. What does that mean, Xander? In that episode, there's a surprise cameo that we sort of mentioned with uh, with the actor who played Bones, the doctor from the first, the original series, right? And so I think we had a discussion somewhere along the lines of like, oh, could they use the character of Bones because of the time difference or did they have the 
rights to the character because of the different studios. So I think that they were saying, uh, if I can interpret the, the, the note correctly, that yes, they could have had the rights to use the character of Bones. They used DeForest Kelly. Uh, it was two different studios that made the Star Trek movies as well as like the CBS like next generation sort of studio. Excellent. So fun fact, before she died, Majel Barrett recorded random sounds so she could be the voice of the computer forever. Yes. <laughs> her voice is great. I would definitely take her as a Siri plugin. Very much so. That would be very comforting to have the computer always be providing that. Mm-hmm. What other uh, feedback do we have from... You know, she just took notes on her thoughts as we said things, so we'll leave it at that. But uh... I've got more episodes with more tidbits right. we'll get to later. And if you uh, feel the need to check check us, you can also send your notes. Uh, is something that I'm saying wrong, uh, just go ahead and let me know in a nice way. You don't have to come for me, but, you know, <laughs> let's have a discussion. <laughs> yeah, feel free to leave those on the YouTube comments or the Podbean comments for the episode in question, and we'll try and find those. You can also join our Discord, the link to which is in our Twitter, and if you want to support us, visit our Patreon. Also say hello on uh, social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Yeah. Did you guys have a great time? It was great. You know what? I had so much fun. I'm feeling very engaged. 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 There we go. (laughs) 